This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Donald Martin has worked at an auto body repair shop for the past four months. He says the work takes his mind off of other things, like his son Gene. After Gene disappeared on August 12th in 1984, Don says he suffered from torturous sorrow, which just gets worse every year. In the long run, it's a little worse now than what it was because the longer it goes, the worse it gets. And it seems like every year it just gets a little bit harder to cope with. Three years ago today, Gene Martin left home to go on his paper route. He was last seen at 5 o'clock in the morning at his delivery corner at Southwest 14th and Highview. Police responded immediately, combing through the city in search of a body or any clues that could lead them to Gene. And three years later, police say the investigation is not closed. It continues to be a very important case to the Des Moines Police Department. Uh, we are not getting the volume of leads that, that we once did in the spring two years. Uh, occasionally we do get a lead and we'll follow up on that lead as thoroughly as we can. The case was remarkably similar to the Johnny Gosh case. Both boys were 13 and both were delivering the Sunday paper. Johnny Gosh would be 19 now. Eugene Martin's 17th birthday is next Tuesday. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a slow burn media podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be covering not one case, but two one of which most of you are familiar with, while the other seems to have been forgotten along the way. As fans of true crime shows and podcasts, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the case of Johnny Gosh. He was the 12-year-old paper boy who was abducted in Des Moines in September of 1982. Now, when he disappeared, he was wearing a white t-shirt with Kim's Academy on the back, and warm-up pants with blue rubber flip-flops and carried a yellow paper bag. Now, Johnny normally would take his father on this particular route on Sundays because it was pretty long and Sunday papers are generally pretty big. But unfortunately, Johnny did not wake up his father on this particular day and he never actually came home. What actually happened after that has really been... Uh, a bit of a speculation for nearly four decades now. Back in November of 2010, Johnny's mother gave an interview to WHO-TV Channel 13's Aaron Brilbeck, and it was kind of about some other paper boys and 
that had witnessed the abduction. And she said that Johnny was approached by a man driving a a blue Ford Fairmount. The guy, quote, shut off his engine, opened the passenger door, and swung his feet on the curb right where the boys were assembling their newspapers. And he started talking about where's 86th Street, Miss Gosh told Brill Beck at the time. Quote, Johnny turned to Mike and said, quote, I've got to get my papers loaded in the wagon. I'm scared. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to head home. As Johnny left, the driver of the car took off too. Now the boys told this to police. Quote, the man pulled the door shut and started up the engine. But before he left, he reached up and flicked the dome light three times. Then he pulled out and left, according to Mrs. Gosh. Now, she said that she believed the driver was actually signaling another person to grab Johnny and that one of the paper boys saw a tall man come out from in between two of the houses and actually follow her son. Now, West Des Moines Police Lieutenant Jeff Miller, who was a rookie at the time, told the news station that police began scouring the area immediately but hit one wall after another. Quote, they went ahead and called in the staff. The troopers, they called in the detectives, the reserves. They even contacted the Polk County sheriffs. The state patrol was even involved. At that point, they did a door-to-door canvas of that neighborhood, trying to find someone who saw something of Johnny. Now, again, this is one of those cases that really changed the trajectory of child raising in the United States because Noreen, who was Johnny's mother, really was relentless in her pursuit to find her son. And it was only one month after her son's disappearance that she actually founded the Johnny Gosh Foundation and developed a program called, quote, In Defense of Children. Now, she began touring the nation and made nearly 1,000 personal appearances with law enforcement, missing persons organizations, and those involved with human trafficking. This was all just in an effort to bring awareness to the crime that happened to her son, but also the crimes that could happen to other people's children. And on July 1st, 1984, she actually helped author a bill titled The Johnny Gosh Bill, and it was passed into Iowa law. And it actually mandated police involvement whenever a child went missing and was subsequently adopted by eight additional states. And that same year, she actually traveled to Washington, to Washington D.C. and testified before Congress. And this was uh, during hearings on organized crime. Her testimony, she said, led to the death threats and also in part the eventual establishment of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. President Ronald Reagan invited her to the center's opening and dedication, and she went on to work on two documentaries, one for HBO and another for the State Department. And her story about what she believed happened to her son led to her writing Why Johnny Can't Come Home, which was published in 2000. Now again, there was still no sign of her son, and Johnny's mother actually continues to believe that he is still alive and back in 2017 they actually displayed Johnny's red wagon that was discovered 
when Johnny was abducted at the Iowa State Fair. And this is sort of a reminder to people that his case remains unsolved. And according to Radio Iowa, a red wagon, quote, a piece of one of the most infamous cold cases in Iowa history is going to be on display at this year's Iowa State Fair. Ron Sampson of the Des Moines of Des Moines has possession of the wagon, which was being used by Johnny Gosh on the morning of September 5th, 1982, to deliver newspapers. The wagon was left behind when the 12-year-old boy vanished. So why does Sampson want to showcase the wagon at the fair? Quote, We're certainly not trying to commercialize anything. Gosh's apparent kidnapping remains unsolved 35 years later, but despite countless news reports, a documentary, books about his disappearance, Samson says he wanted to put the wagon on display for all fairgoers to see as a quote-unquote tribute to Gosh's parents. Quote, John and Noreen went on a crusade to make things safer for young children, for parents, and helping law enforcement with getting things done and reported. I guess I would reach back and say they were the very beginning of the Amber Alert. They were the first people to have a child on a milk carton. Now, as in most cases where a child is abducted or murdered by a stranger, John and Noreen's marriage did not last, and they actually divorced in 1993. Samson was, or is now, a real estate agent and became friends with the couple shortly after they their son disappeared and actually Samson was the owner of the Ankney Press Citizen and he wrote a series of articles about the case quote they plowed some important ground legislatively and just everyday life things changed because of John and Noreen Samson said I think if this wagon symbolizes anything it's the great changes that they made happen for today's parents the Iowa State Patrol has agreed to include the wagon among its displays inside the grandstand at the Iowa State Fair. Gosh's father, John, sent the wagon to Sampson around a year ago. Quote, he had the wagon and just said, there need to be a better place for it, a place that will touch people and mean something to people. He was going to start traveling at this point in his life and didn't want anything to happen to the wagon. And unfortunately, on the back of the wagon... The name Gosh is painted in black lettering. Now fast forward only two years. On Sunday morning, just one month and 11 days since the Johnny Gosh bill had gone into effect in the state of Iowa, it was actually put into use. And this was August 12, 1984. 13-year-old Eugene Martin had left his home at approximately 5 a.m. to deliver the Des Moines Register newspaper to the Des Moines area. He wore blue, uh, blue jeans, a red shirt, and a gray pullover. And Eugene's route manager actually called his family at approximately 7.15 a.m. to report that Eugene's newspaper sack had actually not been retrieved from the corner of Southwest 14th and Highview Streets. The manager called back about approximately 15 minutes later and said that the papers were still unclaimed. Now, this is what led Eugene's father to call the police. Typically, Gene delivered the newspapers with his older stepbrother, but for whatever particular reason on this day, he went it alone. 
Now, the Iowa State Fair was in town, and Eugene had a penchant for video games as well as fishing, and he wanted to make some extra money to partake. So he took up a job with the Des Moines Register. Now, witnesses said they saw Martin talking to a clean-cut white male in his 30s sometime between 5 and 5.45 a.m. at that southwest 12th Street and Highview Drive corner. Now, some stated that the two appeared to be engaged in a friendly father-son sort of conversation, while others recalled seeing the teen folding papers and talking to the man sometime between 5.45 and 6.05 a.m. Gene was 13 years old when he vanished from the corner of Southwest 14th and Highview Drive in Des Moines, and he was actually going to turn 14 just that coming Friday. So it was about 5.30 in the morning, and he had some of his papers rolled up and ready to be delivered. And it was about two years before that call came in about Eugene that 13-year-old Johnny Gosh had gone missing while he was delivering papers in West Des Moines. So the DCI, FBI, and West Des Moines PD quickly came to help in Eugene's case. Eugene's father, Don Martin, actually tried to coordinate search efforts with his neighbors and people who were volunteering. But the only solid clues that were left behind that day were Eugene's bag full of papers, again, left on the corner, and just a few people who saw Eugene talking to some man. Now, Rowley, who was one of the investigators at the time, he said, quote, We found three people going to the balloon fest that had drove by and seen Eugene talking to a man. It looked like a father-son conversation between them. Now, we know that this was not his father, and that, unfortunately, Gene had never returned home. So, in the process, the search teams combed through cornfields. Officers even flew to Cancun to actually follow a lead. And as time went on, it was becoming clear that Eugene's case was actually very similar, and sadly similar to the case of Johnny Gosh. Now, according to a UPI newswire at the time, the FBI was searching nationwide for a quote-unquote loner suspect in the disappearance of a newspaper boy and said there may be a definite connection to another paper boy who vanished from his route in 1982. Eugene Martin, whose 14th birthday was Friday, vanished early Sunday as he was about to deliver copies of the Des Moines Register. Newsboy Johnny Gosh disappeared from his Sunday route September 5th, 1982, and has not been heard from since. Authorities said they are treating the Martin case as a kidnapping and have issued a nationwide bulletin for a man described as between 30 and 40 years old, 5'9", clean-shaven, and with a medium build. Quote, Generally, this person is an introvert, a loner, who may or may not be extra guilt-ridden on what he does, but he will not turn himself in. Now, Hawkins, a special agent for the FBI in charge of the Nebraska-Iowa field office, 
said 17 FBI agents and other authorities were investigating leads. They were concurring with local officials and other authorities to see if there was a connection with the Gosh's disappearance and that of Gene Martin. Now, Hawkins said he would look into a report by Martin's father, Don, that an unidentified man had told him that he saw a boy, quote, looking battered and beaten in a car headed out of town Sunday evening. The man spotted the car about three miles from the Martin home, but he was not sure that the boy was Eugene, Martin had said. He said the man did not notice what kind of car the youth was in, nor did he get a description of the driver. Martin said a Help Find Eugene Martin fund was established at a bank after a suggestion by none other than Noreen and John Gosh, Johnny's parents. And as I mentioned, Gene disappeared from roughly the same area where Johnny disappeared from in 1982. And again, at the time, it was not known if these two cases were related. Heck, we still don't know. But both, but both boys were paper boys, and they were both in the Des Moines area, and they disappeared in somewhat similar fashions. Not to mention the coincidence that they were both delivering the Sunday paper when things are pretty quiet. So, am I going to jump to conclusions and say they're connected yet? I... Don't know. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Let's continue on because the Des Moines Register is one of those papers that I, you know, I like to bring up these newspapers all the time because I do a lot of research through newspapers.com, newspapers archives, all that stuff. And you find out how much work it went into making these newspapers what they were back then. I mean, you basically were writing the internet in newsprint and just imagine how many pages that takes up. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So some of these papers I've come across, I mean, they've reached like 200 and something pages in, in a Sunday edition. So, you know, these papers that Gene and Johnny were both delivering weren't light, but, Again, they were young teenagers and, you know, they probably were physically fit enough to handle it. And that's probably why Gene didn't bother waking his older brother on that day and probably wanted to keep the cash for himself so he could enjoy a little bit of the fun at the Iowa State Fair. But again, the Des Moines Register, you know, a great paper, covered this case through and through and two staff writers Larry Fruling and Bob Shaw wrote an article titled Odyssey of Hope and Despair where they take a seriously deep dive into the Martin and Gosh cases and the 1980s were not only prime time for stranger danger but it was also prime time to report on stranger danger so they stated several days after 14-year-old Eugene Martin vanished, Donald and Sue Martin, Eugene's father and stepmother, 
found themselves in a yellow and black sedan, riding with a stranger down the narrow road through a rural Polk County graveyard. The Martins were with a middle-aged husky man who identified himself only as Bernie. He had come to the door, saying his psychic powers would lead the Martins to the graves of Eugene, Johnny Gosh, and three other young men. I mean, if there isn't a psychic sticking their nose into one of these missing person cases in the 80s, please let me know, because I have yet to see one. So this guy, Bernie, has the Martins in his car, and he's driving southeastward from their home at a quote-unquote maddeningly slow speed. And he would occasionally pull off the street and rub his eyes as though in deep concentration. This would make the Martins increasingly edgy as Bernie seemed to put himself in the place of Eugene and then Eugene and then as Eugene lapsed into unconsciousness in the place of the boy's abductor, according to this article. Okay, if I'm Martins at this point, I am a little concerned. That's a side note from me. Back to the article. You know, this is actually why I find this reporting to be so interesting. Because the writers actually took their time to flesh out a story instead of running with whatever headline gets the most clicks. So anyway, they report just a week earlier the Martins could in no way have imagined such a bizarre ride. Married only four months, they and the children that each brought with them to this new household, were still adjusting to one another. Their main worry was that Donald was out of work, and guess what? When that happens, there isn't much money to go around. And now you have Gene, who has vanished from a street corner in Des Moines. And it's just another reminder that Johnny Gosh was abducted in a similar situation just two years prior. And the Martins' lives were literally cast upon an odyssey of grief, horror, faint hopes, and crushing despair. An all-too-familiar journey with another Iowa family, those of the Goshes. Again, within hours of Eugene's disappearance, the Martins were under the magnifying lenses of detectives and reporters. Within days, they had learned of the slimy underworld of child pornography and prostitution. And within two weeks, they had seen the story of Eugene's disappearance fade away under the dead weight of no new leads and no new information. You know, this is uh, one of the things that you do find out when you investigate these types of cases. There's a lot of sick people out there. And unfortunately, they live amongst us. And yes, there are registries and you could drive yourself insane if you went on there and looked them up because there are a lot of people on there that probably don't belong on there and there are a lot of people not on there that probably do belong on there. So, you know, it's no me by no means like a perfect system. And I believe that, you know, Patty Wetterling of the Jacob Wetterling case, who was a big proponent of this particular act 
would agree and say that, you know, there are certain cases that should be thought of as, you know, sex offender cases and others that should be looked at a little bit differently. So back to the Johnny and Eugene and the fact that Gene, like any other Sunday, had performed the arduous task of preparing his delivery for the Des Moines Sunday Register. And if you ever had a Sunday paper, you know it's filled with ads and stuff that you have to put into the papers. It's not just grabbing your bag and throwing it on the tree lawn. It is what it is. And that's probably why his brother was involved with a lot of these situations. But again... Gene was in a very decent middle-class neighborhood, and the fact that he just disappeared without a trace is mind-boggling and absolutely heartbreaking for the Martin family. And, you know, volunteers, hundreds of volunteers, actually plastered the nation with missing posters with Gene's face on it. And they searched the woods, the cornfields, and did everything else to solve the mystery of Gene's disappearance. You know, you've seen this in the Amy case, the Molly Bish case, the April Tinsley case, the... uh, You name any case that I've covered, all of these cases involve search parties and psychics most of the time. And... These are just things that attract certain people. And that's not to say that there isn't some things that can be gained from talking with a psychic, but to put your money into a psychic if you got other responsibilities, probably not the best way of going about it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, back to their fun ride with Bernie. It had been almost four hours with this psychic. And they finally made their way to Avon Cemetery, which is just six miles from the Martins' house. So it took them four hours to drive six miles. Yes, I would say I would be really, really mad as well. So... It's not surprising when the reporters talked to Don Martin and he said, quote, not too many people scare me, but he had my skin crawling. Let's hear from this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. It's really great to be getting back to normal this summer. I know I'll be heading to the movies and hitting the beach. And while at the beach, I may give my brain a refreshment by opening Best Fiends on my phone. True crime calls for a beach break now and then. And that's when I turn to Best Fiends. Solving puzzles is kind of my thing, and Best Fiends offers me a new challenge every day. It's way more fun than the other matching puzzle games out there. 
It's also one of those games that makes 30 minutes feel like 30 seconds. And guess what? It's totally free to download. One of the coolest parts about Best Fiends is whenever I open the game, there's something new going on every time. Whether it's a new challenge, new levels, or a fun monthly event. And I am really flying through these levels, which is an example that pretty much anybody can play. I find that moving through these puzzles and these different levels is a great experience. And it really does refresh my brain. Collecting all those different characters is just another reason that I turn to Best Fiends for a challenge. So if you're tired of the same old puzzle games, I believe this game is for you. And I actually have a favorite character, and he's aptly named Temper, because he fits my personality. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this game. So join me and millions of people who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, we are back. Now, the Martins, a friend and a policeman, went back the next day to search the cemetery because once they arrived that night, Bernie told them it was too dark to get anything done. Now, luckily, they never heard from Bernie again, but again, what the hell are people doing getting into cars with people who say they are psychics and then drive them around aimlessly and do all sorts of weird stuff? It just, it's just stupid, and it doesn't really do anybody any service. And the fact that you put yourself in that position kind of speaks for itself, and people can read into that whichever way, but... I know everybody wants an answer who's got a missing child, but please be smart about it. I mean, like, you've got other children. You can't just be getting into the car with some random guy who's going to drive you around the city claiming to know where not only two bodies are buried, but five total. I think that's a red flag to bail. <laughs> if there's anyone reason to bail... I'd say that's it. So, you know, back to the story. The Martins, as I said, they go back the next day to the cemetery, and they really don't find anything. Dennis Martin, who at the time of her interview by the Des Moines Register, she was sitting by the telephone with a brown vial of tranquilizers by her elbow with a cup of coffee in her hand. Quote, I drink three or four pots a day, she says in a thin, brittle voice. Quote, it doesn't bother me because I take my pills. Since her son Eugene vanished three weeks ago, her life has been reduced to waiting by the phone and occasionally searching fields and ditches with teams of volunteers. Quote, they let me go sometimes, but I was told that I really shouldn't come along because if I was with them and they found something, first you get scared, then hurt, then angry, then you blow a fuse, and then you start all over again. My mind isn't there. I'm in and out. And until Eugene vanished, she worked part-time supporting three children. Quote, I'm a bartender. A lot of people say, yep, see? When they hear that, she says, describing the telephoned accusations that she had failed as a mother 
quote, it isn't true, but it still hurts. I've had six or seven calls saying things like, quote, if Gene had been home where he belongs, he'd be there today, unquote. I didn't know many how many strange people were there or, or were out there, Martin recalls. And for her, that night before had been a late one at the Sunrise Tap, which was a fixture on East 42nd Street and Easton Boulevard for as long as really anyone could remember. Now, again, this is quoting directly from the article in the Des Moines Register. And she had to close the bar at 3 a.m. And so it was a late night. And it was four hours later that she actually received that phone call um, it was actually from her sister-in-law, and this was Linda Martin telling her that Eugene had vanished while he was on his paper route. Now, he had been staying with his father at the Southside home where Martin had divorced two years before. Now, it took a couple of seconds for her to connect. Martin says, quote, I knew he didn't run away. I talked to him that Tuesday. His birthday was coming up. He told me he wanted a ghetto blaster, like his brother's. As the investigation ground into its third week, Martin says, quote, Everyone has their theories, but no cold, hard facts. I guess you could say there is no trace. I wonder where he is at, what he is doing, whether he is asking for me and his dad. Two of Martin's uncles from Sailorville, Roger Blanchard and Bob Walker, had dropped by to check on Martin. They had been searching for Gene, sweating through weeds for hours, and they were, pun intended, bushed. Walker, this is again straight from the article, a likable galumph of a man plopped into a sofa, quote, yup, every year the cooks come out of the woodwork and them paper boys are easy targets that early in the morning... At the sunrise tap, a Tupperware box full of collected money sits on the bar with a note taped to it that reads, quote, Janice, you have our prayers, also our love, and most of all, our support. Your friends at sunrise. Now, everyone there has been fiercely protective of Martin between serving Budweiser's owner Darlene McElwee shook her head. Quote, it's awful. Hard to lose a child. But to lose one with no finality, it's just terrible. People go down the street looking both ways. Johnny Gosh upset them. This one made them aware. To a reporter, one bar patron said, Hey, don't write anything to hurt her, okay? More than 400 people sit in the, sat in the spacious sanctuary of the First Assembly God of Church on the Merle Hay Road in Des Moines, for a terror-filled two-hour and 20-minute program on sexual abuse and murder of children. One speaker, Bob Curry, had three children who were among many students allegedly molested by the owners and staff of Virginia McMartin Preschool in Manhattan Beach, California, a suburb of Los Angeles. If you guys recall this case, something's fishy. Curry tells of watching a videotape in which a psychologist interviews Curry's son, now eight years old, about the boy's experience at the school. 
At the end of the interview, the child vents his rage by thrashing the puppets the psychologist has used as go-betweens for the questions and answers. Quote, it looked like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, one in which his own son was a featured actor, Curry told the crowd. The film was made by a Minnesota-based Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children, and it opened up with a news conference called by two officials of the North American Man-Boy Love Association. One of the Lipsing officials is saying that young boys and girls should be allowed to engage in sex acts without their parents' consent. It is, he says, a matter of civil rights. He refuses to say how young his is too young, and the film ends with the heartbreaking funeral of Adam Walsh. All I want to say is, what the hell were these people thinking putting this shit together when these families were going through the hell? I mean, what is this going to do to make anybody feel better about anything? I mean, this is satanic panic, stranger danger, rolled into one. I mean, this is just ridiculous. And, I mean, I'm not, like, trying to harp on these people, but talk about going for being... I mean, this is just insanity. You know... I mean, it sounds like a freaking a raucous mob, actually. I mean, they even talk about the special that the crowd's most enthusiastic applause is delivered by for Noreen Gosh when she suggests reinstating the death penalty in Iowa for certain sexual offenses against children. Quote, these pedophiles, their desires never die. Now, again, I'm not going to argue with you. There is no evidence that pedophilia is treatable. It is a curse. It is a scar. It is a whatever you want to call it. Uh, Yes, you're right. There are and there is no cure. But to bring the death penalty for these types of acts, this is not uh, certain countries in the Middle East. Let's just say that. And there do have to be some bit of realists in the room. And I get I get Noreen's anger, but, you know, again, she made it clear that if you touch a child, you should probably die. Again, a little extreme, but coming from the mother of a child who went missing... I'm definitely not going to blame her and definitely not going to hold her feet to the fire on that particular one because, you know what, there are a lot of sick people out there and guess what, a lot of them probably do deserve to be put to death. But we do live in a somewhat civil society these days and I don't really think that would fly. But anyway, you know... The whole thing about these cases is that there is no resolution for the families. You know, Noreen, Johnny's mom, is still alive. She's still out there. She's she's made documentaries. She's made she's written books. Um, unfortunately for Gene's parents, both his parents died. Don died of Alzheimer's, so he was you know, off his rocker by the time he passed away. And Janice, unfortunately, died 
before him. So both of these parents died without knowing what happened to their child. And I can't imagine anything in this world being worse than losing a child to a stranger and then never, ever, ever finding answers. Not one iota. Now, Noreen will go and state some things on the record that people will dispute. Um, it There are weird things there. I mean, again, it's like, it's just weird. Um, she's very involved. She's done a million great things. Um, now, she did make the extravagant claim that Johnny actually came and visited her. Uh, we're going to let you look up that one yourself because I really don't want to go too deep into that. And again, this is more about Gene. And, you know, if you think about Des Moines and you think about the fact that you have two paper boys roughly the same age, disappear only two years apart from one another. I mean, you'd have to be a fool not to think that there is some sort of connection between these two, whether it's a sex trafficking ring or uh, human human trafficking, it, whatever it is, uh, a pedophile who has a particular taste for, you know, boys of that age... These are the things that parents freak out about. And this is also what leads to programs such as Stranger Danger, where strangers make up the smallest percent of actual abductors. And again, we all know this as true crime fanatics, but the bottom line is anytime a child is killed the majority of the time it's from somebody who knew the family or is a part of the family that's just a fact so I'm sorry but they need to focus on that kind of stuff not so much of strangers because I know that when I was a child when I was in 6th grade I was followed by a stranger at least I thought I was but I was also a year out from Amy Mahalovic being abducted. So, it was one of those things, maybe I was overthinking it. But at the time, it certainly felt like it was real. And can you blame an 11-year-old kid? No. And I'm not going to blame myself for, you know, having the principal call the police on this particular car. I mean, the car did follow me into the school parking lot and did make other cars stop and make them go around. So, yeah, I mean, the chance is there that this person was following me. And it's scary. But let's focus on the people that can really cause harm, and those are the people that are usually within the household. And I'm not just saying, and I'm not saying that neither the Gosh family or the Martin family were involved. I mean... Clearly they weren't, and it's just very difficult to think that we spend so much money teaching kids about strangers when all we're doing is making them more 
apt to not trust anybody. And if you think about it, there's a whole thing about the milk carton kids. And there's a reason why you don't see milk carton kids anymore. Well, other than the fact that that was on paper milk cartons. But for real, but for real, honesty, um, that program, which ran for a few years in the 80s, wasn't all that successful. And psychologists actually uh, came to the point where they were like, uh, you know, this probably isn't the best idea. But I mean, there were 600 dairies across the country that were participating in the program, which was sponsored by the National Child Safety Council. And so, I mean, you had kids sitting at breakfast uh, with their peers staring at them with the word missing or have you seen me and like that's pretty traumatic for a child and if you want to get down to the statistics this is this is where it is there's about 1.5 million children who are reported missing in the United States each year about 4 to 5000 are believed abducted by strangers so, not a very high percentage. Now, the guys at Stuff You Should Know did an episode on Stranger Danger this week, which I suggest you listen to, because that actually inspired me to cover the Eugene Martin case. Because as familiar as I was about the Johnny Gosh case, I, unfortunately, like most everybody else, had let the Martin case kind of go by the wayside and was unfortunately not as aware of it as I would have been if Eugene's parents were still alive and, you know, still had the wherewithal to keep his name in the news. You know, it's like John Walsh has always said, it's up to you to keep your missing child in the news. You need to be your child's number one cheerleader. And that is really basically the truth. And the fact that these kids, the you know, the milk carton kids, um, like Eaton Pat eat, what is it? Eaton Pats from New York was the first, I think, nationally, uh, on a milk carton, but the Gosh and Martin pictures were actually on the milk cartons in the state of Iowa. So that was something that had started in the 80s. And again, as I said, it didn't last very long because it wasn't something that really paid dividends. And you may read about some stories on the internet of some cases where they were found to be um, where they actually discovered them, but from what they said on Stuff You Should Know and from what I read, eh, yeah, take that with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, again, there are people out there trying to solve this case still. I mean, the retired police uh, investigator, Raleigh, you know, he still hangs a poster in his garage of Gene Martin. And, you know, he's always going to be hanging that poster until the day that either the case is solved or he's found. 
And again, this was just one of those weird eras where you had missing children being put on everything from pizza boxes to grocery bags to junk mail. And, you know, the biggest issue with all that stuff is that, you know, the Have You Seen Me campaign is a lot of people just stopped paying attention. I mean, yes, it was traumatic for children, but it was also a little bit of a overkill. It's kind of like what you don't want to see with Amber Alerts. I mean, we've got a city alert system here where I live, and I already feel like they've taken advantage of it by just sending out stupid updates. Now, it's not Amber Alert. The Amber Alerts are still productive, and I believe those are very helpful, especially with the fact that they're ways to, you know, get to everybody much quicker than you could have in the 1980s. And, again, this is a sad, sad case of, you know, a boy, two boys who innocently left their homes to earn a couple extra bucks to do what they wanted to do, play video games, go to the state fair, have fun with their friends, and yet they were abducted, and they were never seen again. And it's just it's just terrible. I mean, this is one of those things that you just don't understand. And I sit here reading about these cases and discussing the stuff with you guys, and yeah, it's it's brutal, man. I mean, this is, this is tough. Like I would never ever wish upon anybody what Noreen and John and Don and Janice went through. I mean, what a nightmare, an endless nightmare, a vicious cycle that does not end. So The big thing that I would like people to take out of this week's episode is the fact that all good things start with good intentions. You know, the milk carton kids, um, these boys who just wanted to earn extra bucks for fun and sun in the summertime or whatever it is what they wanted to do with their money. And... What happened was their lives were cut short. And then you have the ripple effect. And we've talked about the ripple effect on a number of occasions. And that is when one person dies, it doesn't just impact that family. It impacts that kid's friends, their parents. It just goes on and on and on. And when there is no resolution, such as in the Johnny Gosh case and the Eugene Martin case, it is very hard for any community to put themselves back together and be confident that their children are safe. And especially in a city like Des Moines, if you really want to go on and do some more research, I suggest you look up Missing Children, from the Des Moines area in the early 1980s, and you will see a lot of numbers that are kind of shocking. So I'm going to leave you with this. Was there something going on in Des Moines in 1982 to 1984? 
Or was there something bigger going on through all the 80s? And those are the questions that we need answered. And at this moment, we need to find out who killed Johnny Gosh and who killed Eugene Martin. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know it was a little bit of a darker subject matter and there was no resolution, which sucks, but it sucks even more for the Martin family and the Gosh family. So uh, thoughts and prayers go out to them. And again, thank you to Best Fiends for sponsoring this week's show. You can download their app free from the Apple App Store or Google Play. As you guys know, I do drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, you can support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes. Or you can contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at Bill-Huffman-3. I did receive a nice contribution this past week, and uh, again... Every contribution, big or small, really does help keep these slow burn podcasts on the air. Now, you can also support the show by leaving a five-star review wherever it is that you listen to your favorite podcasts because those stars help keep the cases that I cover in the spotlight. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered as well as the new shows that are coming down the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. And seriously, thank you guys so much for listening. I really, really, really appreciate it. Until next time, be healthy and stay safe. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com.